Bring it in. Read Option Podcast back. Recording right now, Tuesday morning. Uh, solo pod today. Scotty and Vito both swamped with some stuff going on. So you just get me uh, as we break down week six of the NFL. Not going to spend time on a ton of time on every single game. There's a few big things I kind of want to hit on, uh, including obviously we had the two teams with the best records in the NFL both going down. Uh, we had a bizarre Sunday night game between the Buffalo Bills and the New York Giants. And every week, it feels like we continue to ask this question. And each week, I feel like we're going to learn something. And I still don't know if we do. Is anybody actually good? Is there anyone that's good? I There has to be teams. But this is also the nature of the NFL. And this season so far to this point has shown a lot of parity across the board which ultimately I think is a good thing for the NFL. I think it means that we're going to have a more enjoyable product week in, week out. Things I think it's going to mean that we're going to have a really, really fun postseason. But I think that gap, the perceived gap between the teams through, you know, we're, we're six weeks in now, so we have a pretty strong sample size in terms of who we think is good, who we think isn't good. Now that we are kind of here, the gap between – the Niners, which I think are, is the best team in the NFL, and I think the Dolphins, just because of that offense, have to be in that conversation for the best teams in the NFL. And teams that are, you know, say, at the Commanders or the Falcons level that are kind of in that 503 and 3, uh, 2 and 4 even in some cases, I don't think that gap is massive. Uh, I do think the two top teams in my eyes right now are the Miami Dolphins and the San Francisco 49ers. I still think the Niners are the best team in football, and we are going to get through and go through a good chunk of that. But overwhelmingly, I think we're in this, this kind of middle zone of who is really an elite team through six weeks of the season. The AFC, you can make a case for the Kansas City Chiefs, but they haven't looked like the Kansas City Chiefs that we're used to. Instead, they're a team that defensively, has been outstanding this year, top five defense in the NFL. Uh, and the Miami Dolphins in the AFC, the best offense in the NFL, right? Typically what we've expected out of the Kansas City Chiefs over the last couple of years, a really, really good offense with a defense that uh, is good enough to make some plays and keep you in games. The NFC picture feels really cloudy. We have three teams at the top, all at five and one, the Niners, the Eagles, and the Lions. The Cowboys went on Monday Night Football last night in a close one against the Chargers. They improved a four and two. And then there's a drop-off. Uh, I will say I think the Seahawks deserve to be up in that conversation in terms of, you know, the top five teams in the NFC. I think the, the Seahawks are a really, really good football team. That was an awesome game against Cincinnati on Sunday. So we'll dive into all of that stuff. But right now we're continuing this little – this this stretch of just anyone can beat anyone. And I, I look at that San Francisco and Cleveland game as like part of the reason I still think the San Francisco 49ers are the best team in football is because they went up against what's the best defense in, in football. They lost Debo Samuel early. They had a banged up Trent Williams who did come back in that game. And then they lose McCaffrey in the second half there. And they still had a chance to win the game if Jake Moody can kick a field goal in Cleveland. So 
to me, the Niners still are the class of the NFL, but it's not a huge gap. And then once you get past those top couple of teams with the elite units on one side of the ball or the other, that middle gap, the, the middle class of the NFL right now is really, really fun and really, really exciting. So uh, with that being said, let's hop in to week six. We'll start off with the Thursday night game, Broncos-Chiefs. This is another example of the Chiefs' dominant defense so far throughout this year. The Broncos obviously are not a good football team. And you would expect that the Chiefs blow this game out of the water, right? Classic Mahomes. He's never lost to the Broncos. He's undefeated in his career against the Denver Broncos. This is a game where you're like, all right, this Broncos defense is one of the worst two or three defenses in the NFL. Mahomes should have a really, really big day. That wasn't the driving force. Instead, the Broncos, who offensively haven't been awful, you know, Russ, some of those numbers for Russ, I mean, Russ was really, really bad on Thursday night, barely threw for 100 yards. Actually, was he the one that finished at 95 yards? I don't don't even remember. It's it's a problem with us doing Thursday night games four days removed. Yeah, he had 95 yards in this game, 13 to 22, 95 yards, two interceptions. Not a good day for Russell Wilson. Uh, There haven't been many, but they've at least been functional. They've at least been able to put up some points through the first five weeks. They go up against a Chiefs defense that just flat out dominates them on the line of scrimmage in the secondary across the board. This Broncos team is not a terrible offense, at least statistically. They haven't been a terrible offense. And some of those are empty stats. Some of those are the Hail Mary against the Commanders, where the Commanders end up coming back and winning that football game. Uh, after the, the Broncos throw the Hail Mary, they try to go for two for the win. They don't get it. The fact that the Chiefs' defense is carrying the way right now should be terrifying for NFL teams. If the Chiefs' defense, and this so far through through six weeks, and, and we've talked about this before, the Steve Spagnuolo model – it's very similar to like how Belichick kind of sets up his teams during those or had set up those teams during the Tom Brady era, which is like by November, they kind of figure out what all the, what all, all the pieces are. And then that's kind of when they hit their stride, getting ready for, for the postseason. That's when they're kind of been like, all right, Hey, like we're tapering now we're in game mode. Like we know what we do. We know what we're strong at. We know how we're going to attack these teams and that's how they're going to do it, which is why the defense, despite coming in with rookies all in their secondary last year and, and, and not necessarily having a ton of marquee defensive players outside of, you know, Chris Jones and Tyron Matthew, you know, when he was in Kansas city, they were still able to be really, really solid competitive defenses because of the way that Steve Spagnuolo coaches them up. This is the first time that we've seen a Patrick Mahomes-led Chiefs team that has a top-five defense in the NFL this early on in the season. And obviously injuries are a huge part of this. Chris Jones could go down and, and, and miss the rest of the season, and we're probably talking about a totally different team. But even before, like in the games where Chris Jones missed, he comes back. Like Defensively, they still played pretty well against the Lions in week one, right? This is the best defense Patrick Mahomes has ever had, and it's not even close. And even though the offense, like, again, it's hard to sometimes even pick out who the wide receivers that Mahomes is throwing to, you know, whether it's, you know, Rasheed Rice or Sky Moore or Kadarius Toney. Um, I forgot Marquez Valdez-Scantling's on this team, uh, which I, I mean, he was a decent player in Green Bay. I'm surprised he hasn't been more effective so far this year. But across the board, like, you know you have to deal with Travis Kelsey. He had another nine catches, 120 yards in this game. But other than that, you're like, where's Mahomes throwing the football? That's clearly a problem. They're going to go out and try to grab somebody at the trade deadline, 
somebody that they can bring in there to help elevate them. They did the same thing with Kadarius Tony last year, and obviously that hasn't worked out so far in, in 2023 and at the tail end of 2022, though he did have a big touchdown in the Super Bowl for them. They're going to figure that out as time goes on. Mahomes is too good. Andy Reid's too good. You still have Travis Kelsey there. So as long as Kelsey's healthy and you have Patrick Mahomes and you have a pretty good offensive line, which they do, and they've seemed to have figured out some of the Jawan Taylor stuff, they're going to be probably the best team in the NFL come season's end. Because defensively, they're playing at a level that they've never played with when it comes to Patrick Mahomes and, and him being in Kansas City. If you're going to give a, a top-five defense to Patrick Mahomes – it doesn't matter who you're throwing out at wide receiver. You have Mahomes, you have Kelsey, you have a decent offensive line. Pacheco is really solid running the football. As long as you have that, you're going to be fine offensively with a top five defense. And the thing is, is I'm projecting here, but come November, come December, this Chiefs offense is going to get it together. They're going to figure out what they do best, and they're going to start putting it into play and doing it repeatedly. And the scary thing is, is what happens when Mahomes does figure it out with this group and you have this unbelievable defense. The Chiefs are going to be incredibly difficult to stop. Uh, so, yeah, the Chiefs are going to be really good. My, my, I mean, I if I were to make, hey, we're six season, we're six weeks in, we're at the, the one-third mark, make predictions for the rest of the season, what are you predicting? I would predict that the Chiefs are going to go back to the Super Bowl. To me, I think they're the most consistent team that we've seen in the NFL over the last five, six years defensively they are at a whole nother level than they've ever been and i'm betting on andy Reid and patrick mahomes to continue to do what they do if they get into a, a shootout with miami that might put them in trouble a little bit because offensively they haven't been as explosive as, as we're used to in years past but if you're saying like hey gun to your head who's going to the super bowl of the afc i'm picking the kansas city chiefs because mahomes plus a really really good defense is something that i don't think the nfl is prepared for Sunday games, uh, Sunday morning, Ravens, Titans. Uh, look, the Ra- this is a just these two teams are so frustrating, right? Because the offense just does enough for Baltimore to win games. All right. We have not seen this new explosive fun offense that we are anticipating seeing out, out of Baltimore and, and Lamar Jackson in this whole group. The defense, however, has actually played above expectations. I think with all the injuries going into the season, not really sure what the pass rush situation was for Baltimore. The defense has actually played higher than we thought. Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen, um, there's an argument to be made. I mean, I wouldn't make it because I think San Francisco is still the best linebacking unit in all of football, but the Ravens are right there. And being so strong in that center part of your defense with a really solid, not amazing, but a really solid defensive front. You still have Marlon Humphrey in the back end. Uh, I, I love, love the kid. Um, uh, not Isaiah Simmons, the, uh, oh, I can't believe I'm blank. Kyle Hamilton, the second year player out of Notre Dame. He's turned into a monster. Now he got ejected for a, a, an illegal hit in this game, but he's turned into a really, really, really good player. This is exactly why they drafted a safety in the first round because he's a playmaker. He can cover with the best safeties in the NFL. And he can also come up and play the run as a safety, which you just don't see a lot of. So in a lot of ways, when he comes up and he's playing within the box, you're looking at like, three linebackers, two of which that you feel comfortable dropping into coverage. The other one you're going to let Patrick Queen, you're going to let kind of spy Roquan Smith and kind of end up doing anything, but he's so good against the run. And we saw that in this game against Tennessee. I still want to see more though from this offense. 
they make the coordinator change. They get rid of Greg Roman, right? And and you're what I liked out of this game was we actually saw Lamar kind of turn back into like I don't want to say MVP Lamar, but like scrambler Lamar, where it's like, hey, he hasn't been aggressive running the football on his own this year. This is the first time he's been the leading rusher for the Baltimore Ravens in 2023, 62 yards on 13 carries. He broke off a couple of really important third down scrambles to find ways to get them in position to win this game. But at the same time, this game should have – in Tennessee, when I was talking about saying Baltimore, I'm they remind me of each other because the Titans' defense – keeps them in every single game, but this offense just cannot get it together. And obviously, you know, Tannehill goes out in this game. Uh, that sucks. You bring in Malik Willis, Malik Willis, four or five for 74 yards. Uh, but he also took four sacks, including three in a row to close out the game when they had a chance to potentially tie the game and, 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 you know, at least score a touchdown, give him a chance at a two point conversion. Thought we were going to see another Tennessee cover there with uh, the Ravens being four point favorites. Instead, they uh, they elect to kick the field goal and make it an eight point game, make it a two possession game when they had an opportunity there to score a touchdown to make it a three point game. It was a two possession game at the end. Three straight sacks. They kicked the field goal. They end the game basically just calling it what it is. I mean, they were never going to be able to do it with Malik Willis. Tannehill has to go. I don't think that's any shock. They've invested draft capital in both Malik Willis and Will Levis, to be honest. The next time, and if Tannehill is going to miss substantial time here, I would like to see Will Levis. I think we know what we see out of Malik Willis. It hasn't been good. He's come in. I mean, Tennessee was so afraid of playing Malik Willis last year in a winning, make-the-playoffs type of game. And they go out and bring Josh Dobbs off the street, and they still almost found a way to win that football game with Josh Dobbs. That says a lot about where Malik Willis is, and I know there's dazzling talent, but the one thing is when he was playing under Hugh Freeze at Liberty, it was that college spread, easy throw. We're going to design one read, and this is where you're going to go because it's always going to be open. And then when it's not, you can scramble with your size and athleticism, and you just can't play quarterback like that in the NFL unless you are a truly, truly special talent or – you have a really, really consistent run game. And we did see to some degree here in this game that like Malik Willis was able to do a little bit of that. You know, they, they were able to run the football. Derek Henry, people thought, oh, is it over yet? He breaks the 63-yard run. But outside of the 63 yards, it was 11 carries for 34 yards. I, that's not consistent. Yes, you get the one big play from Derek Henry. You'll take that every single time. 12 carries, 97 yards, and a touchdown looks like a good stat line. And the second you take out that 63-yard run, you're like, okay, this team cannot consistently run the football. They might be able to break one off with Tiaji Spears or Derrick Henry, but you're not consistently running the football. Your yards per carry here, especially when you when you remove the outliers, is not consistent. And whether it's Tannehill, Malik Willis, Will Levis – I don't know what you do. The defense is good enough to keep you in games and Mike Vrabel is going to find ways. They're, they're probably going to end up at that seven, eight, nine win. I don't think they're going to go over nine. So more likely seven or eight wins is where they're going to end up. It's just frustrating because it's like Vrabel gets that defense every single year to be really, really good. And every single year they've continued to rely on Brian Tannehill. And this has been the cliff season. All right. And maybe they knew that maybe that's why they've been investing. But to be honest, I was not a huge Will Levis fan coming out of the draft this year. I liked Malik Willis's talent, but you need to put him with a with a Shane Steichen or a, a you know Mike McDaniel or Kyle Shanahan, one of these guys 
Malik Willis has a lot of like Trey Lance in him, right? Raw, simpler offense to play in football or at, at the uh, at the college football level. Not a stiff competition. Playing at Liberty, playing at North Dakota State. Um, you love the intangibles. You love the stuff that you can't coach. The size, the speed, the athleticism. You'll take that ten ways till Sunday, right? It's not consistent, and this isn't an offense or necessarily, I don't want to say a culture, but like it's not a coaching staff that I think is in a, in a position to be able to develop a quarterback like that, especially with how limited the, the, the overall weapons are, but also the offensive scheme is it's not meant for guys like Malik Willis. Will Levis. Yeah. I think Will Levis could be all right, but we haven't seen it yet. I would love to see some Will Levis here in the next couple of weeks while Ryan Tannehill is out. Um, I don't know if Vrabel has said one way or another which way he's going with it, but yeah, it's not not great. Um, the offense again for Baltimore, they just haven't had the breakout game yet. They haven't had the game where it looks good. And offenses across the league, outside of you know San Francisco for the most part, uh, not this past weekend, but San Francisco for the most part, and the Dolphins. The offenses have been down across the NFL. So credit to defenses for stepping up and making plays here, but. We're just not seeing the explosiveness. And but what we are seeing, to be fair, and, and to credit the the four and two Baltimore Ravens, who are in a very good position right now and, and have a very good chance of winning this division. Mark Andrews model consistency at the tight end position. Zay Flowers looks awesome. He had the really bad game against ball uh, against Pittsburgh last week where he's dropping balls left and right. But this six catches, 50 yards, a touchdown. He's making plays to get him the ball in space. Uh, you have to respect OBJ. Rashad Bateman's been disappointing in terms of how his career has kind of come across. You know, I think Nelson Aguilar is actually out targeting him so far this year, which is not what you want. Uh, I know Nelly's had a, had uh, has had really great moments in his career where he's had thousand yard seasons with the Eagles, and then there's been times where it's like, is this dude going to get cut or is he going to be a practice squad player? Um, but for a guy you drafted in the first round two years ago, and Rashad Bateman, you would hope that he would have developed more now. And and I know he had injuries his first year, and that's tough, but it, we just haven't seen it. So uh, two teams that are very frustrating to watch, but ultimately, I I don't know. I got I, I got another one. They're frustrating. It's frustrating. I want to see more from Baltimore. You have Lamar Jackson. You have guys there. The offensive execution across the NFL has been down, and I think that's part. I don't know if it's defenses are playing up or what. It's, it's just – it's frustrating to watch these two teams because I see a ton of potential out of the Baltimore Ravens offensively. And this Titans defense is really, really good. And they can't get their shit together on offense. The Ravens are like teetering where it's like they have the guys where they could be one of the best offenses in the NFL and they just haven't been able to put it together. So I, the Ravens win this one. They should win this one. Obviously they get over there earlier. Their bodies get more adapted to it. The Titans kind of made that mistake of showing up late. Um, and, and, and showed, I mean, they just offensively. And then of course, look, when Tannehill goes down, you have to limit your expectations. And at that point, the Ravens did what they had to do to close out that game and they did a good job. So credit to the Ravens. Uh, all right. The one o'clock games, we'll start with the commanders and Falcons really fun game, but my God, one of the worst coaching situations I've ever seen to close out this game. Well, I think it was in the third, third, maybe it was fourth quarter in this Falcons game, Desmond Ritter, the 300 yard game last week made us think like, Oh, there's something in there. 
you have to believe if they have just a middle of the road veteran quarterback, even a Kirk Cousins, the Falcons win this game. Um, I thought defensively they played really, really well. The first, the second quarter for for Washington was like cakewalk. And then the way the Falcons kind of closed the door on the commanders there in the fourth quarter, stopping the run, stopping the pass, forcing Sam Howell into tough situations. I thought they did everything in their power to, and they had multiple, multiple drives in the fourth quarter to go down and score a touchdown to potentially tie this game. And they just couldn't execute. Uh, the, the, the coaching malpractice of the delay of game when they're sitting there on third and goal on the one yard line, you cannot have a delay of game penalty there. You cannot do that. And it goes from delay of game to, okay, now it's third and six. We're going to roll Desmond Ritter out to the right. We're going to shorten the field to just half the field and force our quarterback to throw it into a tight window and throws it directly. I think it was the Forbes. The, the cornerback for, for Washington, he picks it off, takes the knee in the end zone. At that point, you're just like, what? What is going on, man? I mean, Desmond Ritter, I love the kid at Cincinnati. I want to see him do well. This Falcons team could very easily be four and two. Hell, they, they're a couple of plays away from being five and one on the season so far. Defensively, they're playing really, really good football. I did like what I saw in terms of it seemed like Desmond Ritter was actually willing to push the football. Like it felt like he came into this game with confidence. The opening, I don't know, the opening drive was in the first quarter. He slings that ball over the middle, tight window throw to Kyle Pitts, finally getting Kyle Pitts involved into this offense. Welcome to the NFL, a year and a half into your NFL career, Kyle Pitts, uh, or two and a half years into your NFL career, Kyle Pitts. But yeah, I mean, ultimately he got a little too careless, tried to do a little bit too much. Uh, it's a tough balance between like being a quote unquote game manager and not turning the ball over and being more conservative with the football with knowing when to pick your spots, right? Knowing when you can try to rip one into a tight window. And so far to this point in his career, Desmond Ritter has been on the don't turn the ball over, stay conservative, make the correct throws. If it's not there, throw it away, scramble, take a couple yards, kind of a quarterback. And I think that's kind of the space he needs to live in. I mean, I I want him to still be able to have the confidence to rip throws when he needs to, because in order to be a successful start in the NFL, you have to be able to do that. But so far, what we've seen in games where he tries to do that from the first quarter, not just in the fourth quarter when they're trying to make a comeback like we saw last week, it hasn't been quite as successful. So, um, But credit to the commanders, right, because they found ways – they got up early in this game, and their defense kept them in it. Their defense continued to make plays. The defensive line was getting pressure. They made things uncomfortable. Uh, they went up against a pretty solid offensive line there in the Falcons. And what I really loved, again, the red zone defense, if that delay of game penalty doesn't happen, do the Falcons score a touchdown there? Probably. You know, and then maybe we're looking at like a four-point game, and maybe the, the rest of that whole game kind of ultimately – changes a little bit in terms of how how the rest of it goes out there but yeah i just commanders did a good job they, they won a game they're three and three they're a frisky team i've said it i think since like week two or week three i think the commanders are going to make the playoffs i think they're going to be one of those teams in that seven seed and, and what's interesting is it's probably going to come down between the falcons and the commanders for who gets that last spot in the playoffs now obviously there's a lot of football left we're only a third of the way through the season a lot can change from now and then but it feels like that's kind of where we're shaping up to be. Uh, Vikings, Bears. The Bears go back to being the Bears. The Vikings look terrible. I mean, Kirk Cousins is – I mean, no Justin Jefferson in this game, obviously. 
Uh, Jordan Addison getting the ball here and there. It's just it was an ugly football game across the board. Um, they the 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 quarterback, the backup quarterback, the kid from Shepherd University. Um, Stringent is his name. Bajan, Bajan, I don't know. Tyson Bade Bajan um, comes in after Justin Fields goes out. Obviously, the fumble six was a really bad way to start that off. Um, not exactly what you want. Uh, but after that, he actually kind of settled in. I didn't think he was terrible. You know, they found ways to at least score one touchdown um, from Tyson Bajan himself. Uh, but on the other side, like, this, this game was just – this is an ugly game between two bad teams. And Minnesota went out and won. I feel like the 18 carries for 44 yards that Alexander Madison had, you could tell me he gets that every single week for the rest of the season. And I'll say, yeah, that's that sounds about exactly right. Um, why they gave up draft capital to go up and get – go out and get Cam Akers to give him one carry, um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what Kevin O'Connell is doing there in Minnesota. Uh, the defense, they're the number one blitzing defense in the NFL because they know that they don't have enough talent in Minnesota. So they're just like, fuck it. Brian Flores says, fuck it. We're just going to blitz everybody as much as possible and hope that we can get to the quarterback before the, the quarterback is able to beat us in our secondary. And so far that has not worked out. But when you play Justin Fields, who looked terrible before getting hurt, uh, but yeah, when 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 it's Justin Fields and Tyler Bade Baggin or Bage, I got to figure out how to say his name. Um, that, that's what's going to happen. You're just not, you're not going to, you know, you, you can do that against those guys. You can't do that against Mahomes. Can't do that against, uh, you know, hell, Brock Purdy. I don't even know. Uh, Josh Allen. You can't do it against the best quarterbacks in the NFL and you're not going to be able to do it for the rest of the season. I don't think you can do it against Detroit either. And when Minnesota and Detroit play, they're going to try to blitz the hell out of them, but Detroit's looking pretty good right now. Um, sitting there at a five and one. So two bad teams, not going to waste any more time talking about that game. Uh, Cincinnati and Seattle, just like that. The Bengals back to 500. The offense didn't look great. All right. We, the explosion that we saw in that game against the Cardinals last week for the Bengals, that didn't necessarily translate. Uh, that being said, I didn't think they looked terrible. The one thing I'm really noticing about the Cincinnati team is that the struggles in the run game, they, they have not, really committed to it. I mean, there's only four, 15 carries on the day. Two of those were uh, Joe. One of them was a Joe Burrow scramble. I think the other one was a QB sneak. Uh, but Joe Mixon, 12 carries for 38 yards. They throw the ball 35 times. I mean, the Seahawks dominated this game in terms of time of possession. They outgained uh, the the Bengals significantly. I, I think the, the Bengals had barely over 200 yards and Seattle had uh, almost 400 yards of total offense. So, Seattle dominated this game. The biggest frustration there, if you're a Seahawks fan, is the the inability to score in the red zone. And that's where you give all the credit to Cincinnati because Cincinnati lost a couple of big pieces in their secondary in the offseason, particularly two of their leaders at the safety positions. And yet they're still really, really good. And I know Geno Smith, 27 to 41 for 323 yards, but zero passing touchdowns. And they forced two interceptions out of Geno. I thought the Bengals defense played extraordinary in the red zone, but at the same, in the same breath, I think Seattle played incredibly well defensively against a a team that is really good. You know, Jamar chase T Higgins, Tyler Boyd, there's still plenty of weapons on the Cincinnati roster. You see them up and down. I didn't think visually like eye test wise, the Bengals looked as bad offensively as they have in the last 
um, you know, the first two or three, first, what, four weeks of the season. I, I don't think Cincinnati eye test wise looked as bad. I thought Seattle defensively played outrageously good. That secondary, Devin Witherspoon, I mean, when he was matched up against Jamar Chase, I think it was like two targets on him, neither of which were caught, basically locked him down. Devin Witherspoon and Quandre Diggs are fucking studs. All right, that secondary is really, really good for Seattle. And we're starting to see the pass rush get in there too. I love having a veteran Bobby Wagner in there. Obviously, he's not the Bobby Wagner of old, which was the best linebacker in football. But I'll tell you what, there are probably 25 teams 25 to 28 teams in the NFL who would take Bobby Wagner as their starting middle linebacker right now and not bat an eye about whoever they were replacing. I think Bobby Wagner is an absolute stud still. He can still do everything you need him to do in the run-stopping game, but just as a quarterback of your defense, making sure guys are in the right spot, that is so valuable, and it feels like Seattle's defense is kind of hitting their stride. Seattle's a damn good football team. I expect Seattle to be in the mix, not just – in terms of a wild card, I think when they go up against the Niners again, when they are in big time games in the playoffs, I think Geno Smith is playing really, really good football. He was a little bit un-Geno like in this game, the two interceptions, obviously giving up the four sacks. Uh, another team, big time sacks. I think it was two two back-to-back sacks on the Seahawks' last possession of the game to help kind of ice that game for the Bengals, knowing that the Seattle Seahawks needed a touchdown in the red zone. I thought that was fantastic. Gino was a little unlike Gino today or on Sunday, uh, but they're able to run the ball. Kenneth Walker's doing, having a fantastic season, seems to be healthy. Uh, the, the Everyone being concerned is like, oh, is, is Zach Charbonnet going to take carries away from Kenneth Walker? He's not. Pete Carroll's rolling with his guy, and that's Kenneth Walker. But all credit here goes to the Bengals' defense, all right? This is two teams defensively who played really, really well, I think can, historically, at least over the last few seasons. Last year in particular, we think, oh, Seahawks offense, really good. Bengals offense, really, really good. This is going to be a high-scoring game. I bet the live over at halftime, I think it was at like 48 and a half, thinking, oh, that's going to be a lock because this game was 14 to 10 at halftime. I was I was feeling great about it. And then there was only six more points scored the rest of the game. I thought both defensive coordinators did a fantastic job. Uh, it was a fun game. It was it was a gritty old school football game where the defenses really really showed out. And you know when the season started and we're like, man, the scoring's down. The defenses are playing better. A lot of people, myself included, kind of attributed that to like, all right, well, not a lot of teams are playing everybody in the preseason, right? So this is going to take a few weeks for the offenses to kind of wake up. It's been six weeks. All right, most teams in the NFL have played six games. Everyone's played at least five. Where's the offense? Where where are the where is the offense right now in the NFL? Because it, we're seeing defenses and teams that are coming up with big time plays defensively being the thing that kind of carries the day. So uh, shout out to the Bengals defense coming up with a, a big time win here against the Seahawks. Uh, but both again, I think both are playoff teams. I think both are really really good teams. And this was a fun fun game to watch. I hope you know. Hey, you know, crazy things happen, but. I, this is a matchup where it's like it's not super high scoring, but I could watch this kind of game every single week in the NFL and I'll be happy. Even though it's not super flashy and not super high scoring, it was just a gritty, grinded out, winning in the trenches, great cornerback play on both sides, great defensive play on both sides. I, it was just such a fun game to watch. Compare that to a similar game with a similar final score, Niners-Browns, the Cleveland Browns, a 3-2 and two, 
hand the San Francisco 49ers their first loss of the season. This game, on the other hand, I thought, like, don't get me wrong, it was fun and plenty of drama and how it finished, but this wasn't Washington and Oregon, right, on Saturday, which was a knockdown drag out, touchdowns being thrown back and forth. Whoever gets the last ball is going to win. This game was ugly. All right, this was an ugly, ugly football game. P.J. Walker, I mean, God bless the dude. He's played for how many freaking teams now? He's on his second or third stint with the Browns alone. Uh, definitely a better – up. he's an upgrade from DTR while Deshaun Watson's out. The story of this game is, my God, the Cleveland Browns defense is really fucking good. Really, 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 really good. And I wish Scotty was on here because he was – Similar to me, and we'll get to the Eagles in a little bit. He was not thrilled with this game, understandably so, but there's some positives to take away from it. And we'll we'll talk about the Niners in a second, but Cleveland defensively, that front is nasty. Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa, who, if you guys remember, when first year we started this pod, any of our long-term listeners know I was obsessed with that dude at Notre Dame. And he fell in the draft because uh, of something that came up with a potential heart condition and, and teams that want to fall on him. That dude flies everywhere, everywhere. He's nosing on the ball. You hear that name constantly on the broadcast. Miles Garrett. You don't, I mean, you don't have to say enough good things about miles Garrett. We know how incredible he is, but to go out in the off season, the way the Browns did and get Zedaria Smith, what a one-two combo in terms of – if you just take the number one and number two pass rushers on every single team, like pure pass rushers across the NFL, number one to number two, just their top two, you know, think about like NBA Jam style where you can only take the two guys from each team. You would take those two guys, I think, over anyone else in the NFL, right? I mean, you could make the case for Joe Bosa and Khalil Mack, but Khalil Mack outside of the six-sack game, which I know is a big if or a, a big stipulation. He was incredible in that game. But other than that, you know, it's it's kind of been like later in his career, Khalil Mack. You say, all right, let's take a look at the Niners, right? You got Nick Bosa, incredible, pure pass rusher. Javon Hargrave is really good at rushing the quarterback from the interior, but I don't know if there's another guy on the outside who necessarily matches that same level. Uh, TJ Watt doesn't really have a counterpart that's kind of up at that same level. Even if look at the Eagles, like Hassan Reddick, unbelievable pass rusher and we know Jalen Carter's been awesome so far this year and in his rookie year Josh Sweat is really really good I Josh Sweat I don't think is as good as Zadarius Smith has been and and Trent Williams going down like I just immediately locked in to to Miles Garrett every single play while Trent Williams was out now Trent Williams only missed one drive but every snap on that drive, Miles Garrett's just throwing guys around. And that battle between Trent Williams and Miles Garrett was so fun throughout the entirety of that game. But ultimately, like, I, I there's just nothing you can do with Miles Garrett. Even the best left tackle in football struggled. And obviously, there's there's a there's a, an element to that where it's like, all right, well, the Niners lose Debo Samuel in the first quarter. They have a, a Trent Williams, who's not 100%. So benefit of the doubt to Trent Williams there. He was banged up. And then Christian McCaffrey goes out and later in the game in the third quarter. And then where's Brock Birdie supposed to go with the ball against this unbelievable defense? Uh, Greedy Williams, or not Greedy Williams, uh, Greg Newsom on the outside, Denzel Ward, really, really good one-two cornerbacks. Uh, and one of my favorite players, well, give me a big shout-out to Rodney McLeod. 
Eagles legend, was on the Eagles Super Bowl team, was starting safety for a long time. Looked like he was kind of at the end of his ropes when he was playing in Indy last year. He goes, reunites with Jim Schwartz in Cleveland. He was making plays left and right. But Grant Delpit, all right, this was a guy who was a kind of tweener safety, played a little bit like Tyron Matthew, but not as like dynamic of a defensive player when he was at LSU. Grant Delpit's become a really, really good pro. And it's taken a few years, right? He was on that 2019, was it 2019 national championship team for LSU, which was one of my, my all-time favorite college football team I ever got to watch was that team. It took him a couple of years to kind of find his footing, find out where his role is to learn the NFL speed. But now that he's gotten the opportunities, he's a monster. I mean, they send him on blitzes. They drop him into coverage. They'll let him go man-to-man against tight ends. Even a couple of wide receivers covering running backs out of the backfield. He flies around and does a little bit of everything that you kind of need from that position. And, and I thought he played outrageously well. This Browns defense, unbelievable they're holding teams to uh, like, I think it's like 204 yards per game so far this season, which is truly an, an absurd, uh, an absurd stat and a defense that we, we have not seen a defense this good. Like for as good as the Miami Dolphins offense has been, the Browns defense through five games has actually been better than the Miami Dolphins offense has been historically speaking, uh, which is saying a lot. So the Browns, even with PJ Walker going up against a team as good as the Niners, that defense is a problem. Now, they should have lost this game. All of that being said, for as good as the Browns are, and defensively they were great, the Browns should have lost this game. Jake Moody misses the field goal at the end, 37-yarder. I felt terrible for the kid. He apparently had his whole family there. He's from the Ohio, somewhere in Ohio. So he had like 25 friends and family who all came to the game. There was a picture of them pregame with him on the field and them all up in the stands and – Look, man, when you're a kicker, it's it, you know, you, you can't say like that lost them the game because they lost it plenty of other times beforehand. Um, but with the amount of adversity that San Francisco was going through, for them to be in a position where the 37 yard field goal to win the game, you have to you have to make that, man. You have to make that field goal as an NFL kicker. And because he missed it and pushed just a touch right, the Browns go on to win this football game. Now, Scotty is not here and he was going on a full rent and, and I'll, we'll, we'll check in with Scotty hopefully uh, later on in the week when we have our preview pod. I know he's pretty slammed this week, so we may not be able to, I think he's got a bachelor party coming up this week. However, I will say this. I was really impressed with Brock Purdy on that last drive. Everybody so far, on Twitter, Eagles fans, anyone who's who's trying who was on the camp of Brock Purdy's not good, they loved Sunday, right? Because Brock Purdy struggled. He didn't play well. He he did not play well. He lost his best weapon in Christian McCaffrey. He lost his number one wide receiver in uh, Debo Samuel early. He had a banged up left tackle, and he's going up against the best defense in the NFL. There is no quarterback who will play that well. I will play well, I should say, against the defense given all of the con- against this defense given all of the context surrounding it. 12 of 27, 125 yards, touchdown pick, sack three times. And you know what? I actually thought he played really well on that last drive. The number one takeaway for me in this game, 
You can take Patrick Mahomes. You can take Jalen Hurts. You can take Josh Allen. You can take any of those guys and take away their top two uh, uh, top two weapons and a banged up offensive line and go up against the best defense in the NFL. And there, no one's going to play well. You're just not. So let's not all of a sudden rule this as a Brock Purdy sucks. See, I told you so. I told you so. But this is exactly what I've been saying on the pod for the last six months. I needed to see Brock Purdy and see what he looked like in a moment like this. He played terrible through three and a half quarters, through through 95% of the game. He played terrible. But he he got a chance. Two minutes left. Amazing defense on the other side. Missing your best weapon. Missing your number two weapon. And your best offensive lineman is banged up, and you're going up against Miles Garrett, Zedarius Smith, and this unbelievable defense. What do you do? This is the adversity that I've been talking about. What do you look like when you have significant adversity in front of you? Can you deliver in the biggest moments? And he did. He absolutely did. I was so impressed with that final drive from Barack Purdy. All right. Let's run through what that final drive was, okay? Back-to-back incomplete passes, first and 10, second and 10. Then he goes incomplete left, but gets the pass interference, which gives him the first down, okay? Questionable call. People are going to say it. Whatever. First and 10, San Francisco 32. Short left to Ayuk, 25 yards. Now, again, short pass, but made the correct read. I don't care if it's a short pass. If you're if you're making the correct decision, getting the ball into the hands of Brandon Ayuk on a two-minute drive where you have to go run up the field – do it. That's that's exactly what you're supposed to do. Ayuk gets 25 yards. He gets up the you know takes it outside, gets out of bounds. Uh, incomplete pass again. Don't love it, but then he goes back to Ayuk for eight yards. Timeout by Cleveland. Now at this point, you're on the Cleveland 43. All right, nine yard pass to Jawan Jennings. Really, really nice pass that Jawan Jennings then gets out of bounds from. Then you go run behind. You go run, spike. And you're on the Cleveland 23 with nine seconds left and a chance to win the football game. He made four big throws in that game, in that moment. And you had the one pass interference, which, hey, that's the luck of the draw. That's going to happen when you have good weapons. Brandon Ayuk and Jawan Jennings. Brandon Ayuk's a really, really good player. He could be a number one for a lot of other teams. Okay, but we're not talking about like Justin Jefferson. He's not on that level. You don't have Christian McCaffrey. You're handing the ball off to, to John Mason or whatever his name is. Your two options to throw the ball are Kittle, who you needed to keep in to block because that defensive line was getting after you. You have Ayuk and you have Juwan Jennings, and that's it. It's Purdy, uh, Juwan Jennings, and Brandon Ayuk. That's all it was. And he marched him down the field, starting at their own 25-yard line. I, I mean, the kid went 60 yards, put them in a chance with a minute and a half, and the kicker missed it. I was really impressed with Brock Purdy. And ultimately, you lose the game, and that sucks. And if you're a Niners fan, you're allowed to be pissed. I know there were the questionable calls, the uh, illegal contact uh, on the defense's receiver. I understand that one. The hold the hold was a little ticky-tack, but, you know, so was the one in the Super Bowl. Like, those penalties get called. You have to live with it. It's just part of the game. I was really impressed with Brock Purdy. I thought that – Driving them down and getting them in a position to win that game was really imp- impressive given how poorly he had played up to that point and missing the amount of people that he had. So I'm not going to say I'm sold 
right? Because it's still a small sample size. But if he can do that against that defense in that context and a game that you should have won, if that kick goes in, we are singing praises about Brock Purdy right now and about his ability to get them down the field. And even without the, the banked up offensive line and no weapons, and he still found a way to get them down, do it against this defense is unbelievable. But the kicker missed it. And now people are talking about, see, I told you Brock Purdy sucked. Brock Purdy's been really good. And he faced adversity in this game. He played like shit for the majority of the game. He had to step up in a moment to get them down the field. And he did exactly what he was supposed to do. The kicker misses it. You know, winning cures all. Winning makes you forget about everything else. In that moment, Brock Purdy proved something to me that I didn't know he had in him. And I think it, it, it should be worth noting, and I think he deserves props for it. Panthers-Dolphins. Dolphins are really good offensively. They're they are terrifying. They are absolutely terrifying. And even after the first two touchdowns in the first quarter, their defense pitched a shutout for the rest of the game. They have the pick six when Mike White came in in the fourth quarter. This Dolphins offense is really good. <laughs> they're terrifying. And the Eagles are playing them on Sunday night. And the Eagles are going to be wearing their Kelly Greens. And I think the Eagles are going to get embarrassed. I, I This uh, this offense is so good. Right? We thought David A-Chain or A-Chan was going to be like, oh, he's out. You know, he's been, most are just in and just, just as dominant. And they're doing it all behind an offensive line that's, like, not bad at all. It's not great. It's not the Eagles. You know, it's not the Browns. It's not the Lions. It's a good offensive line. It's not a great offensive line. But because of everything they do and how smart they are as a team and how they have the perfect type of player for what Mike McDaniel is trying to do, it's a perfect marriage between coaching and front office. It's like Mike McDaniel goes to the front office and says, I need this kind of player. Get me this kind of player. And they went out and got them these kinds of players, and they have been outrageously good. And it's only going to continue to get better. I, I am I am terrified of this Dolphins offense. Now, we've seen good teams challenge them a little bit, particularly that Buffalo game. But every team's going to have games like that. And since then, the Dolphins have looked unbeatable. So I told everyone to pump the brakes after the 70-point game. I felt vindicated by that. But now here we are six games in. It's the best offense we've seen since Peyton Manning and and the Denver Broncos teams with Demarius Thomas and Eric Decker and Wes Welker. Like those teams, I think we're averaging 44 points per game through six weeks. This team's averaging about 38. So there's about a full touchdown difference between the two. But this is the best offense we've seen the NFL in a long in, in a while. I mean, it's it, it's better than the McVay Rams when Jared Goff was there and they came out. It's been better than a lot of the the Kansas City offenses we've seen with Patrick Mahomes. Not saying I would rather have Tua in this Dolphins offense over those Kansas City teams, but that offense is terrifying, and they're going to come to the link on Sunday night. And I spoiler for for later for the pod, the preview pod later on this week. I think the Dolphins are going to absolutely smash the Eagles. Smash with how many injuries are in that Eagles secondary. Colts, Jags. Jags take care of business, man. They come back from London. They've ripped off, was it three straight, four straight wins, three straight wins? Uh, yeah, because they went to London one and two. Here they are, 
four and two, three straight wins. That third quarter for Jacksonville was really impressive. I think the defense has been really, really impressive. The two touchdowns the Colts scored were in garbage time. I mean, it was 31 to six. Uh, the Jags are starting to find what we expected them to be coming into the season. Uh, Trevor Lawrence still making a few mistakes here and there. Like it still hasn't been perfect, but I'm, I'm liking the development, right? Because ultimately like this is, if we're going to do what we did last year and say, Hey, you know, we kind of got to throw the urban Meyer year out the window for this Jacksonville team. This is year two with Doug and year two with Doug. This is kind of like having a second year starting quarterback because of how terrible that first year was. And he's playing really, really well. The thing that's really encouraging if you're a Jacksman is their ability to run the football right now. Travis Etienne has been awesome. Two touchdowns and like it was something crazy. It was like two touchdowns with like within a minute or something. I, I, I don't have the exact stat in front of me, but Etienne's really good. I, he's explosive. He's hard to bring down. I love Tank Bigsby as, as a change of pace back. Uh, and obviously, you know, the addition of Calvin Ridley has helped this Jaguars team a lot. They have their offensive line back. The Jags are good. They are four and two. I don't know. Again, I, I don't know where they rank necessarily. I, if we were to say, Hey, what are your top 10 teams? The, like the, the herd hierarchy thing that Colin Coward always does every Monday. I don't know where they rank, but they're probably in the top 10. They're probably, if they're not in the top 10, they're just outside of it. But to me, I think they're one of the top 10 teams, best teams in the NFL. And I think it's really encouraging to see the development of this defense. Trayvon Walker, right? Number one overall pick in 2022. They need to see something out of the kid. And Josh Sweat is having his best season as a pro. And he's been a pro bowler. He's been a really, really good player in the NFL for a number of years now. Uh, the Jags seem to be finding something here. And granted, it's it's the Colts and Gardner Minshew. I get that. But as a whole, yeah, the Jags, the Jags are a good football team. And they've been really, really fun to watch. Uh, all right, last of the 1 o'clock games we have Saints-Texans. Shout out to D'Amico Ryans and C.J. Stroud. My goodness, man. C.J. Stroud has been so fun to watch so far this season. I love this Texans team. I do. I, I love everything about it. I love the young energy. I love the young explosive players. I love that they can hang with any team. They put 20 points up against a really, really good defense in the Saints. And defensively, man, what a difference a year makes. Like We we talked about how frisky the Texans defense was last year under Lovey Smith, right? They were like, yeah, they're not terrible. They can kind of keep them in games. The Texans defense is kind of just flat out good, but they're young. So like, when they play a really, really explosive offense, I'm going to expect them to lose because they're going to make mistakes. But when they're playing a team like this where they feel like they can pin their ears back and be aggressive, you got Will Anderson. I, I love this team, man. I, they are fun to watch. That linebacking room with Christian Harris and Henry To'o To'o is really good. Derek Stingley coming along. He was a top five pick. Remember, really, really good cornerback. This is a young, exciting defense with a coach that has already overnight changed the culture for what this Texan team has been the last three years. With David Culley, right? It was it was the end of Bill O'Brien, then it was David Culley, and then it was uh, uh, Lovey Smith, and it just felt like three years. And they go through the Deshaun Watson saga and all of that crap that they went through. 
it felt like they were in football purgatory, right? Where it's just like, we're just stuck here as a bad team and nothing's getting better. And we've had one and done coaches and back-to-back seasons and nothing's going well. And now you get this spark of light. You get this jolt, this thing. If you're a Texans fan, you are pumped on Sundays to see what your boys do because you don't know. They could go out and beat. Honestly, I think they could go out and hang and beat any team in the NFL. I, I really genuinely believe that. I think they're the youngest team, them or the Colts, are the youngest team in the NFL. I I love this Texans team, man. Nico Collins, Robert Woods, John Mechie getting some action there too. Uh, Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary's, you know, like I, everyone likes Damian Pierce. Devin Singletary's been pretty good for them in the running game. They get Larry Tunsil back. They got a pretty solid offensive line. They're just playing good football, man, across the board. And it's fun. And what's ironic is they're playing the epitome of fun in Dennis Allen and, and the New Orleans Saints. Like I love the Saints defense because it's big and nasty and Cam Jordan and Demario Davis and guys that are, are really good. Tyron Matthew, my goodness is Derek Carr just stinky. He's just stinky doo-doo. I'm so freaking sick of Derek Carr on my television. If his AC joint's still banged up, put in Jameis, do something, push the ball down the field. You actually have electric players. You have Chris Alave, Rashad Shahid, or what's his name? Like I, I love that dude. He is lightning fast. Michael Thomas is even playing healthy. He's not good, but he's at least healthy. He's giving you something. Uh, Jawan Johnson, uh, the the tight end there is a, become a complete non-factor. You have a couple of running backs. Obviously, you have Kamara, but the rookie they have, like you have talent here. The offensive line's not terrible. Derek Carr is just bad. It's that plus the scheme. It's bad. It's not good. It's bad. It's not fun to watch them play. Derek Carr stinks. This team stinks. Defensively, they're awesome, but the offense is just it's it's them in the Titans, man. Good defenses that'll keep you in games, and then offensives that are just bleh. Bleh. It's not fun to watch the Saints play football right now. It's not. And it sucks because you have guys that are really fun to watch play on offense, but you have like the most boring quarterback and the guy who's just, he's missing deep throws. He's checked down King this year. It's clear he doesn't trust his shoulder right now. So put in Jameis. And can we be done with the Taysom Hill thing? It's been like five years of Taysom Hill. Can we be done? All right. It was a fun story. Put him at tight end. Put him at fullback. Let's stop with this wildcat nonsense. Sean Payton's been gone for two years. You don't have to keep playing Taysom Hill and act like he's a productive football player for your offense. A direct snap to Taysom Hill for him to run up the middle and get tackled after a yard and a half is not going to help you win football games. Especially when the quarterback, on, with the other quarterback, when you bring up, when you take out Taysom Hill, is Der- freaking Derek Carr. I'm so done. I'm done with this. If they had a better offensive scheme where they were actually spreading the ball out and being creative and playing up tempo, pushing the ball downfield, trying to utilize the middle of the field, there's a couple times where it's like, oh, we need to go down and score a touchdown here. Oh, wait, we can drag Chris Olave across the middle of the field and no one's going to be able to stay with him because he's that freaking good. Let's run that play. Let's run the Chris Olave over the middle. Let's let's push the ball downfield instead of running these like weird jump balls to the sidelines. Uh, and in the back of the end zone with Michael Thomas, who, again, this is the first time he's been healthy through six games in what, the last four years? It's just, it's so boring to watch, man. It's so boring. And the Texans, 
Texans are a fun football team. They're the exact opposite of what the Saints are. They're young, exciting. They're electric. I love this Texans team. I'm sick of this Saints team. And Dennis Allen, great defensive coach. Like, there's a reason he was a really, really good defensive coordinator and those Saints defenses were really good when Sean Payton, especially towards the end with Drew Brees, when he couldn't push the ball downfield. But it feels like, all right, we're just doing the same thing. End of end of career, Drew Brees and Derek Carr on the Saints. It's like the same thing. We're seeing a really good defense being wasted with an offense that's just boring because they don't have a quarterback who's willing to push the ball down the field. And on third and nine, the amount of times, like every time there's like a big third down play and, and red zone flashes to the Saints being up on TV and it's Derek Carr just dunking a ball off on a, on a wheel route to Alvin Kamara for him to get tackled five yards short of the stick. And you got to at least try to do something. got to try. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. we got the afternoon games to get to. to talk about the Eagles. We'll do that on the other side and we'll get you guys on the way to the rest of your week. All right, we're going to get to the late afternoon games from Sunday as well as Sunday night and Monday night. Before we do that, though, the boys on the read option are hot gambling right now. Uh, Vito and I both went two and one on our lock picks of the week. Scotty went one and two on his lock picks. One and three technically because he said Isaiah Pacheco over 92 and a half uh, receiver. Sorry, two and three technically if you include that. But um yeah, so far, picking games, boys are doing well. Scotty one and two on his locks. Leader and I two and one with our locks. Uh, but the real impressive thing right now, so overall is on our locks competition, I am at 10 and five. Vito's at six and three. Scotty's at six and six. But the overall numbers were we're we're starting to look pretty damn good on the season right now. Now, again, it's, it's, it's pick. So it's always going to start to fade a little bit, but so far this, this week alone, Vito went a great nine and six Scotty one better than him at 10 and five. And your boy went 11 and four back to back weeks going 11 and four. So I'm just saying right now we're looking pretty good on the season overall veto above 520 and 14 Scotty at 36, 21 and three. And me, I've picked every single week, 52, 35 and four easily the best start to a pick spread that we've had since been doing, since we've been doing this show. So stay hot, stay hot. That's all we're going to say. Stay hot. Not going to jinx it, but for as much as it feels like we don't know what's going on in the NFL right now, we have been doing pretty well with our picks against the spread. But that was about the only thing that I was pumped about on Sunday. Because the Philadelphia Eagles lost one of the worst, worst losses I've seen in a long time. The Cowboys lost last year. It hurt, right? But Jalen's out. You got Gardner. The loss against the Saints with Gardner still was not good, but again, what are you going to do? Backup quarterback, they played like shit that day. This game, this game was nauseating. Absolutely nauseating. I don't want to say this right now. I think collectively as NFL fans, we should make a class action lawsuit against the New York Giants and the New York Jets and whoever else owns MetLife Stadium because the amount of injuries and bullshit that's come from the turf in that fucking stadium 
is outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. There are teams playing north and in colder conditions who have grass fields. The New England Patriots, I think, have a turf, but theirs is even better. This is getting completely out of hand. The Browns, colder than, than New York, right? They play on a grass field. Chicago, grass field. The Pittsburgh Steelers, grass field. All those places are colder than New England or than, than New York. There's no reason for artificial turf in that stadium. And it is consistently every single week players get hurt, lower body injuries. It is directly tied to that fucking turf. All right. Lane Johnson gets rolled up on. Normally when Lane Johnson gets rolled up on, he knows how to fall. He doesn't get hurt when that happens. It happens almost every single game. His ankle gets caught in the turf because of the stupid fucking turf rolls him up. He gets hurt in the first drive, misses the game. Still unsure how much time he's going to miss, but it's going to be at least the next couple of weeks, if not longer. Fuck that turf. Aaron Rodgers, Saquon, both an ACL Achilles, the best players on those two teams, right? Like it happens all the time, every single week, get rid of the fucking turf. And the Eagles have to play on it again later in the season. So that's good. But we can't play in the turf as Eagles fans, right? We can't. This game was so obnoxiously bad. And I said at one point to Scotty and Vito in our text thread, I said, well, Scotty, at least the Niners didn't play as bad as the Eagles did. And he said, oh, no, no, the Niners played just as bad. And I, just as I said that, Jalen Hurts, there was, I think, his second interception. I said, no, no, they really didn't. And that wasn't even the worst of it. I felt very vindicated yesterday when I was listening to some of the recap pods and doing some some of my rewatching and whatnot because I sent a tweet out on Sunday that said the version of Jalen Hurts we saw in the second half of that game, and honestly, you can make the argument for the entire game, was not rookie year Jalen Hurts. Wasn't even Oklahoma Jalen Hurts. It was the Jalen Hurts who got benched at, at halftime of the national championship Jalen Hurts. It was Alabama Jalen Hurts. He was so bad. And I know Eagles fans are going to come at me and say I'm being hyperbolic and, oh, look at the, the seven these are things, and Devontae Smith dropped it. Devontae Smith, inexcusable drop. Un, unbelievably inexcusable drop from a guy who has some of the best hands in the NFL. Don't get me wrong. There were moments in the first half where I'm like, all right, Jalen's seeing it a little bit. That's exactly what he was at Alabama. But the thing was, as soon as Jack Driscoll got in that game, Jalen Hurts was seeing ghosts left and right. He could not possibly feel comfortable. He was one read. If it's not there, I'm tucking and scrambling and getting as many yards as I can. And again, you'll tell me, well, Jeff, look how he did on the ground. All right. Look, he wasn't that bad. Jeff, the interception, the, the, the first interception, the Dallas, Dallas got her dropped the ball. It gets popped up. It gets picked up. The second one, he got hit as he throws. That's on Jack Driscoll. Make all the excuses you want. I'm not saying that the two two interceptions, the first two interceptions were Jalen's fault. They weren't. Not necessarily anyway. There's things that Jalen could have done to prevent that. But either way, they weren't good. The last interception is the worst throw I've ever seen Jalen Hurts make in an NFL uniform. The, The footwork completely disappeared in that moment. He's standing completely square to the offensive line. 
he's feeling pressure left and right. His eyes drop. His shoulders drop. He's looking to scramble. And I get it. You're going up against a really, really good defensive line, a really good defense, an unbelievably good defense, probably a step below the, the Cleveland Browns. That's how good this defense was. But they're missing they're two, both starting cornerbacks. And you have Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown on the outside. I don't want to hear fucking excuses. Jalen Hurts played terribly in this game. Now, it's not Jalen Hurts' fault across the board. Devontae Smith, multiple drops in this game. He had a huge drop last week, too. That's three drops in the last two games from a guy who's supposed to have some of the surest hands in the NFL. And I'll tell you what, if Devontae Smith wants to pout and moan about not getting the ball like he did against the Rams last week in a win, he sure as fuck can't say anything now after dropping the most wide open ball I've ever seen in my life. There was not somebody within 15 yards of Devontae Smith. And Jalen Hurts threw a perfect ball. Soft, catchable, didn't rocket it in. Devontae just flat out dropped it. Brian Johnson was fucking terrible in this game. They lost their, their starting right tackle, and he had no idea what to do to help it. There was no effort to keep a tight end in, to, to start playing 21 personnel, to bring in Jack Stoll, to help out Jack Driscoll. There was nothing, not chips from the running back, nothing. There was no commitment to the running game. And when they did commit to the running game, they were running it behind Sue Opetta and Jack Driscoll, which, by the way, the Jets were loading guys up and sending blitzers at them the entire time because they knew that's where the weakness lied instead of running behind Landon Dickerson and Jason Kelsey and Jordan Milato on the left side. From the top to bottom, offense was putrid in this game. This game could have been 28 to three going into halftime with the Eagles getting the ball back. Absolutely inexcusable. Okay. And here's the thing. The defense was the one that got fucked by injuries more. You know who, who was, who were playing significant snaps for the Philadelphia Eagles in the secondary Makai Gardner, who had never been active for an NFL game, 20 snaps, Fourth highest snap count of the game, Mario Goodrich. Reed Blankenship gets knocked out of this game. Terrell Edmonds is just dog shit. He's fucking terrible. Howie Roseman needs to be on the phone with every GM this week to bring in a safety. Because you're not going to get the same iteration of this offensive line moving forward. You have a window here. And right now, they're going to be playing the Miami Dolphins with Mario Goodrich starting at cornerback, Josh Job starting at cornerback, Justin Evans, they're started at safety. He wasn't in this game. He's on IR. He's going to be gone. We don't know how banged up Reed Blankenship is because of a dirty-ass fucking scumbag move by Alan Lazard on a blindside block. Go gobble Aaron Rodgers' balls a little bit more, you fucking bitch. I hate Alan Lazard for that. Used to like the guy. That's a scumbag move, and he fucking knew it the second that he did it. And even with all the injuries that the Eagles had in their secondary, they still played pretty damn good. They forced them to turn the ball over on downs. They got stops. They held them to field goals. And yes, I know it's Zach Wilson on the other side. But we're talking about practice squad players guarding Randall Cobb. Who Randall Cobb's not great, but he's a fucking vet. 
against a dude who's never been active in, in an NFL game before, against Al Lazard, who's a decent NFL player, and against one of the best wide receivers in the league in Garrett Wilson. This was horrific by the Eagles' offense. I'm not giving Jalen Hurts a pass here, nor should anybody else. And you know what? He won't either, because that's not who Jalen Hurts is. Jalen Hurts throwing that interception was horrendous. And on that final drive, right, the Eagles have not the final drive, the second to last drive, when Jalen Hurts threw the interception, first and 10, run the ball for nothing. Second and 10, run the ball for nothing, right? You're trying to drain the clock. Why on earth are you now throwing it on third and nine to try to pick pick up a first down when the Jets are out of timeouts? You run the ball, you get it down to 40 seconds, and you punt the ball and you say, okay, Zach Wilson, go 70 yards or go 50 yards in 40 seconds with no timeouts. And if you kick a field goal and beat us, you do. Because that's what the first two play calls told you that the Eagles were going to do. Run the ball, milk the clock down. Run the ball, milk the clock down. Waste their timeouts, get past the two-minute warning. And then on third down, run it again, get it down to a minute left in the game, let your defense go out there and win you the game because they were the side of the ball that was executing better, even though the offense was the one that still had Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard and DeAndre Swift and Jason Kelsey and Jordan Malata and Landon Dickerson and all the fucking studs that we love to prop up who didn't fucking show up in this game. It's one of the grossest losses I've ever seen as an Eagles fan. Now, obviously, I'm here getting animated again. That's what it's what happens, okay? I'm, this is what happens. But I spent the last 24 hours plus really trying to think. Because we are a third of the way through the season. We're six games in. The Eagles are five and one. And there's so many numbers that are like, and, and everyone in the national media, everyone's talking about. Oh, the Eagles fifth in points per game going into this week. Defense looks better. But we know this stretch coming up is going to be brutal. But I think they'll get through. They'll win a bunch of those games. Who? Who are they beating? Who are they beating with this secondary next week when they play Miami? Makai Gardner is going to be out on the field with Tyreek Hill. Maybe if Slay comes back, they have a fighting shot. And somehow the Eagles are still a two-point favorite, which makes zero sense. The Dolphins are going to run a fucking clinic on the Eagles. Because Brees Hall when they decide to run the ball, was able to run the ball. I'm sorry. I don't see it. I don't see how this team, with how many injuries they already have on this roster, get through the next seven weeks with a winning record. They're five and one right now. They could be six and seven by the end of this. The easiest game they have in the next seven weeks is the Commanders. And they just took them to overtime, and the Eagles probably should have lost that game. Take the sample size we have from what the Eagles are. We know what they were last year. We know the talent and, and what the talent is. And we know the old expression, well, you are what your record says you are. Nuh-uh, not in this case. 
What have we seen? We've seen an Eagles team that has failed. They have failed to actually demonstrate the capabilities of their offense. They have failed to execute and live up to the expectations of the talent that they have on their roster. Failed. Not even remotely close. Yes, they found wins, ways to win games. Scrappy wins. Yes, oh, this team can just dominate and control time of possession and do stuff. They've been bailed out by their offensive line left and right this season. Jalen Hurts has been bailed out by DeAndre Swift and the Eagles offensive line. They've been bailed out by, for the most part, being on the right side of the turnover battle throughout the first five games of the season. They haven't played well. There's been one game through the first six weeks of the season where he said the Eagles actually played really well in that game. And we're projecting our expectations from the offseason and from what we saw last year onto this year's team. And this year's team is not the same team. They're not executing. They're not performing. They're banged up. They're injured. Jalen Hurts is, looks like a totally different guy than we saw last year it's the first year of a new offensive coordinator who's never called plays in the nfl sean desai is actually doing a really good job helping improve this defense but the defense now is battling a million injuries on what planet are the eagles getting through the stretch that they're going up against where they have to play the dolphins the commanders the chiefs the niners the seahawks the cowboys twice and come out of that with a winning record on what planet Like, I'm animated right now, but but tell me I'm wrong. There's no holes in this argument. They're 5-1. and one. That's great. What does the eye test show you? What does the film show you? What do the numbers on Jalen Hurts and this offense show you? It's not good. It's not bad. It's not good. And that's what this Eagles team is this year. And by season's end, they're going to be a playoff team. They are. They're going to make the playoffs. And maybe by season's end, they're healthy which that rarely happens that you get healthier at the end of the season. But they, let's say they do. Maybe they get their injuries out of the way now and they come back later in the season and they get healthier. And then maybe come playoff time, they're a wild card team. Maybe they even hold on to win the, the NFC East. But they just lost the game. On their, They had a two-game lead over the Cowboys. They just lost that. That's now down to one. They're only two games ahead of the, the Commanders. And they have a game coming up against them in two weeks after almost losing to them earlier in the season. What we've seen through six weeks of this Eagles team has is not promising. And that was when they were fully healthy. And now the injuries are piling up. Accountable is great. We, we love it, right? Hold them accountable, Nick Sirianni. Yeah. And when you're 14 and three and you make it to the Super Bowl, that's great because there's not a whole lot you need to be held accountable for because you're dominating teams. Now, are you holding people accountable when you're losing games? And how are you going to change it? This gauntlet with how good every single one of those teams have been playing, including the commanders, is really scary. And as much as I love Jalen Hurts, we've seen one game from him where it's looked like, oh, that's the guy we just gave this massive contract to. And now we're going to have to go ahead 
for at least the next couple of weeks without Lane Johnson. They'll get him back at some point. It's not season ending. I, I don't see it. I don't see the path forward for this team with this gauntlet where they come out of this. I mean, again, if they go three and four over their next seven games. Okay. I mean, you're, you're, you're eight and five. I mean, that puts you in the, it at least gives you a chance. But to be honest, three and five with the, the with the way they're currently set up, or three and four with the way that they're currently set up with their injuries, that might be the top end. That might be wishful thinking to some degree because when injuries start to build up, it's rare that things get better as the season goes on. There's a couple of guys like Lane Johnson will miss a couple of weeks. He'll come back. He'll be huge, right? But there are so many injuries across the board on this team. And they're also weak at a lot of positions. And for as good as Jalen Carter has been this year, him not being in this game was not why they lost. The defense still had five sacks. It's not why. The offensive execution was horseshit. And there's been some good moments with Brian Johnson. There's been some bad. But ultimately, like, that's why they're going to be a pretty good team this year. I don't think they're going to be a great team. I think they're going to be a pretty good team. Now, if they go on a run here and they somehow make it out of the seven game stretch, four and two or four and three, five and two, I'll eat my words. I have no problem doing that. But I said from the, from like week two, it just, it's not clicking. And that game on Sunday was concerned. Shout out to the Jets. You guys earned that one. All right. Rip through the rest of these games. We'll get you guys on your way to the rest of the week. God damn it. You guys probably think, I I mean, I'm literally a lunatic. I'm sitting in my room recording a podcast by myself screaming. Um, But it's therapeutic, so we'll take that. Uh, Patriots Raiders. The Patriots are bad, man. (laughs) They're so bad. One in five. Uh, The Raiders, three and three. Frisky. Um. I don't think they're a great team. Um, scary stuff with Jimmy G. I hope he's uh, doing okay. Back injury, they sent him to the hospital, make sure there was nothing else. But my God, is Max Crosby a fucking stud? That dude, <sighs> unbelievable. And shout out too for getting the uh, the safety to help get the cover. My guy, Max Crosby, coming up. Um, yeah, it's not, it's just, this is an ugly game between two teams. You know, this is just, I don't think the Raiders are that good but this is also kind of what I expected out of them with Jimmy G, right? It's like, they're going to just kind of figure out ways to win games and it's going to kind of be ugly and weird sometimes, but they're going to end up being kind of better than you thought. I don't remember where I had them at my over under. I know I had them. I think that's a good question. Let me, let me pull up our, our prediction sheet from, from the start of the season. Cause I know I didn't have them as like number one. Here it is. I had, Oh, uh, no, actually, I actually don't have that one here. Didn't have them making the playoffs. I know that. Um, I think I had them ahead of uh, Denver. I think I had them ahead of Denver. That sounds about right. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the Raiders, they're okay. Patriots stink. Mac Jones stinks. That whole team stinks. Um, and they're not fun to watch, so we're not going to talk about it any more than that. Cardinals-Rams. Uh, the Rams – Kind of took care of business. It was, you know, look, I mean, they were losing nine to six at halftime here, but the defense showed up. 
shut out the Cardinals in the second half. Um, the Cardinals, again, they're frisky in the first half. And then it's like if they can get a big enough lead and kind of hold on to it like that Cowboys win. But it kind of feels like that Cowboys win might have been like the one shining moment, you know, for the Cardinals this year. Um, I'm sure there'll be another win that they steal later on in the season, but kind of feels like that's where they're heading as a, as a team. The Rams are they're a good football team. Like to me, they're in that pretty good thing. It's, it's like Cardinals or sorry, the, the Rams, Commanders, Falcons. One of those three teams is going to end up, and you can probably throw the Bucks in the mix there as well. Um, but one of those four teams is going to end up as the seven seed. I think the Rams are probably the best out of that group. Um, but we'll see. I mean, Cooper Cup needs to stay healthy. Uh, Puka Nakua still performing at a really high level for a rookie, which is remarkable. How about Kyron Williams, man? I uh, love the dude in college. Really, really good player. Now, you know, they get rid of Cam Akers. All of a sudden, the Rams can run the football. And it sets the tone for them. I mean, he broke off that huge run in the second half in this game to, to kind of help put it away and really kind of set the tone. Um, yeah, I mean, great win for the for the Rams. Um, and they're sitting at three and three. And, and they don't have the easiest schedule in the world, but it's also, I mean, you got to, again, they got to play the Niners again, but they already got that out of the way. I feel like the Rams are kind of, everything's in front of them. You know, them and the Seahawks and Seahawks, again, I think they have the same record. The Seahawks might be three and two, actually, because they had a, yeah, they had a bye week. Um, but everything's in front of both of those teams for that that wild card spot. I wouldn't be surprised if this is a year where we have, you know, three teams from the NFC West make the playoffs. Um, and then we'll see, you know, Eagles, Cowboys maybe steal that other wild card spot. But it kind of feels like Seahawks, Rams and then NFC East team. You know, the, the, the what everyone doesn't win the division. That's kind of what it's leaning. But I'm still, I still like the Commanders. I don't know what it is. I just like Sam Howell. I think that's what it is. Even though the division rivals, I just, I just like Sam Howell. So, uh, Lions Bucks. Not a whole lot to take away from this game. Um, the Bucks offense really struggled. As as much as I kind of like the creamsicle uniforms, I just don't think you can wear that. Right? If you have a uniform that you wear that you were historically the worst team in NFL history, like the Bucks were where they set the record for the most consecutive losses in a season or not in, well, in a season. Yeah. But, but the most consecutive losses ever, which I think it was at like 23 or 24. You can't bring that back as a throwback. I mean, I get it. They look cool. I think the last time I did that, I remember Josh Freeman playing a game like that when he was in Tampa Bay. Um, shout out Josh Freeman. There's a fun, fun callback. Uh, not the cleanest game from the, from the lions. Um, Jameson Williams back catches a great touchdown pass. Craig Reynolds. Older brother, or uh, younger brother, rather, of uh, uh, a guy who went to my high school, uh, Eric Reynolds, E-Ray. Uh, but Craig Craig Reynolds, man, throwing down a gauntlet of a block on that Amonra St. Brown touchdown. That was kind of all the Lions needed, and defensively, they just kind of put teams in their place right now. I mean, look, the Lions are 5-1. and one. There's a five-way tie for best record in the NFL right now. Eagles, Niners, Lions, Chiefs, Dolphins, 5-1. and one. Uh, and the Lions, Lions are pretty good, man. They can run the football as long as I mean, David Montgomery leaves this game a little banged up. I think he it's not long term, um, but they can run it. The offensive line's good. Jared Goff is playing really well. They're throwing the deep ball. They have another explosive weapon on the outside, Jamison Williams. I feel like by the time we hit like December, we're gonna be like, Jesus, man, they just added Jamison Williams in, and we all forgot how freaking incredible he was at Alabama. And they just throw him into this lineup. Uh, that already has, I mean, Josh Reynolds has been playing really, really well for them too. I mean, they have some, some guys, man. And defensively, 
you know, we laughed at Jack Campbell. We, we, you know, we laughed at the Jameer Gibbs picks, but they picked guys who they knew would be good football players. And not that Jameer Gibbs has been lighting it up or Jack Campbell, but they're just solid, man. And it just helps kind of round out their team in a really, really effective way. And as Dan Campbell put it in his post-game press conference, they're playing as one unit. And that's as much as you can ask for when, you, when you're hoping to be a you know, Super Bowl contender. And, and don't kid yourself. The Lions, I mean, right now, who's to say they can't get the number one seed? Huh? Why not? Why not the Lions? Why not them? That's what I want to see. I, don't, I, I mean, I don't as an Eagles fan, but if it's not going to be the Eagles, I hope it's the Lions because that would be fun as hell. First time 5-1 and one since 2011. Shout out Detroit. Shout out the Lions. Loving this story. Um, Sunday Night Football. Weird game, man. Ryan Dable, what are we doing before halftime? What is that about? What is going on? What is going on with the Buffalo Bills? I don't. I. They're four and two. They probably should be five and one. They definitely should be five and one from the thing about that Monday night game. I. I just. I don't know what is happening with this Bills team. Part of me is like, oh, it's Josh Allen, it's Stephon Diggs, it's a good offensive line. They're going to figure it out. And then we watch games like this, and you're like, I, I don't – you were shut out by the Giants through three quarters. Now, I did take the Giants to cover the spread in this game. I thought 14 was way too big. I I just don't know, man. I mean, the Giants are so bad, so bad. And Tyrod Taylor, bad. I mean, if, if it is true that he checked out of that pass play – when they're right there and, and makes a run play to try to get up and spike. I mean, that's just, you can't do that. Not a dude who's been in the NFL as long as Tyrod Taylor has. Um, Yeah, I just, ugh, ugh, ugh. Weird game. Weird game. The Giants are a weird team. Have the Giants played a normal game this season? Let's look, let's take a quick look as before we wrap up the pod. The Giants played a weird, a normal game. Uh, The Dallas game, no, that was weird. Uh, the Arizona game, weird. They came back and won that one. Um, San Francisco, that was just kind of an ass kicking. The Seattle loss, 24 to three. I don't even remember that game. Dolphins lit them up in the second half and the Dolphins. Game. Yeah. I mean, they're just bad. I mean, unbelievably bad. They, they are. <laughs> this was the closest loss they've had only five points. That's pretty good. Everything else has been double digits and two touchdowns. Um, man, the giants are bad. And I don't, I don't know what you do moving forward. We talked about that last week. I, just, I don't even know. Um, the Bills, I mean, look, they – again, they still have Josh Allen. They still have Stephon Giggs. They still have plenty of talent there. But wh- when are the pieces going to click for them? I don't – I'm not seeing it. I need to see the pieces click in for them. Um, obviously, they're dealing with a lot of injuries, and, and they've lost some guys for the year, and that's going to be tough for them to come back from. But you gotta, you got to beat a team like the Giants better than this, man. At home – like Sunday night football. No. No. Uh, and then Monday night fun game between the Cowboys and Chargers. I'm not going to lie. I was definitely more locked into the Phillies. Uh, shout out to Phil's take game one in the NLCS, baby. Let's go fighting said, um, but yeah, Cowboys come away with this one. You know, I I've been seeing a lot of this stat with Justin Herbert about, you know, he's third in the NFL since his time in the it since his time in the league and, and, um, game-winning drives. He's got like 14 of them, I think. Like Kirk Cousins, I think, is first with 15. I don't really care about that stat. Dak has a lot of those, too. I think the top three are actually Kirk Cousins, Dak, and Justin Herbert. 
You know who's not on that list? Josh Allen, Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow. Like the really, really, really good quarterbacks haven't been there. And I've, again, for the record, I think Justin Herbert's a stud. I, th- I do think he's really, really good. But he's starting to kind of dip into like more talented Dak, more talented Kirk Cousins territory. He misses throws in really important moments of games that you're not really like you kind of look at yourself like, how did he miss that throw? There were multiple throws last time where it's just I'm seeing wheel route wide open, all snack down the side of my Keenan out, all just missing him. And look, you can blame the Chargers, right? And 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 say, well, it's the team around them, it's the injuries, it's the defense, it's the Chargers curse, it's all this stuff. I don't know, man. Like, not every single game with the Chargers is like a 35 to, to 33 shootout. You know, a lot of Chargers games are like this, where it's like 20 to 17 or 24-20. You know, it, it's not like he's out there throwing and putting up these unbelievable stats. It's it's starting to get into like empty calories zone a little bit and maybe it is the chargers maybe it's it's kellen moore maybe it's brandon Staley. i don't know i don't know what it is what i do know is that i see this guy with unreal talent the guy that all the nerds lose their mind over because of how talented he is and it just doesn't it doesn't it's not it's not there we're just not seeing it at some point they need to the numbers are great and the nerds out there can go down and blah, 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 and all their fucking advanced stats and all that stuff. That's great. Cool. Awesome. What, why are why is it not translating to wins? QB wins is one of the dumbest stats out there. I, I 100% agree with that. I And when the nerds say that, I'm with you 100%. But at some point, where does Justin Herbert get any of the blame in this? Because it feels like when you talk with people who are like really, really analytical people, or you listen to people who are really, really football analytics nerd, that when they talk about Justin Herbert and they have their little mini orgasm about how incredible he is. When you ask them the question, we're like, well, where are the wins? It's always, well, it's someone else here and something else there. It's oh, the game winning drives number and all. Like he's missing throws in big moments. He just is. He's making bad decisions in big moments. Like you can't blame everyone else except for the quarterback in, in a league where yes, as a, as a quarterback, you are more dependent on your surroundings than in any other sport that is as important of a, for an individual position. You are more reliant on the people around you than any other one in sports. No question. But really, really great quarterbacks, which the nerds try to tell us that Justin Herbert is elevate above that. We've seen Mahomes do it. We see Josh Allen do it. We've seen Joe Burrow do it. We've seen Jalen Hurts do it. We've seen guys elevate their teams around him. Lamar Jackson did it for the first like four years of his five years of his career. We've seen guys be able to elevate and, and overcome their other side of the ball's teams and mistakes. So it's like, you can't so you can't always blame everyone else around you. Like the nerds need to just be like, Hey, Justin Herbert. Yeah. Sometimes he's not, he's not great. And sometimes he is, you know, but if, if you're going to come at me as been like game winning drives, like how good Justin Herbert is, look at these game winning drives and the guys ahead of them are Kirk Cousins and Dak Prescott, that's not telling me anything because Kirk Cousins and Dak Prescott are the same quarterback, both of which are like, okay, above average, okay. You know, if Justin Herbert is just a more talented version of an okay quarterback, all right, that's fine. We can, like, that's fine, say that. But they get so enamored with some of the stuff he can do 
that they don't focus on the stuff that he does. And then they take when he does do something amazing, they go, well, look at this amazing thing Justin Herbert did. Yeah, Justin Herbert's really good at football. I, I understand. Unbelievable talent. Great mind. Great athlete. When is it going to translate to wins? Because again, QB wins are a dumb stat when you look at it like in, in, in a vacuum and you're just thinking, all right, well, this quarterback has this many quarterback wins, so he's better than this quarterback. That's really dumb. But at some point, we, we you do need to see the crossover. You do need to see like, okay, what he's doing is translating to wins. And like, I, I, I never blamed him for the loss against Jacksonville in the playoffs last year because it wasn't his fault. The defense fucked him over in that game. But he also didn't do anything in the second half, half to help, you know, ice that game out. And this is just one of those, another situation where it's like, there were throws on the field that Justin Herbert missed. So at some point, it has to kind of be on him too. All right, that's all we got. Thank you for listening. We'll be back later in the week. Uh, hopefully, at least Vito. We're also going to hope for Vito and Scotty. Scotty might just avoid us um, because of the Niners loss. I don't know. <laughs> um, but as always, we love you guys. We appreciate you. We will be back. We will do a little baseball talk as well. I want to see how the Phillies do. Game two tonight. Let's go, Fightins. Set. Take it easy. Everybody.